chapter tonight, Proverbs 13, will be in verses 1 through 10. There's a lot of good admonition in this chapter. This first section of the chapter is full of wise sayings for his son, but the entire chapter is good of, full of good, practical, godly advice. Proverbs 13, let's start in verse number one. The Bible says, A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressors shall eat violence. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth, his, openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. A righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. Righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way, but wickedness overthroweth the sinner. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. The ransom of a man's life are his riches, but the poor heareth not rebuke. The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Let's pray again. Our Father, we thank you for this evening again, Lord. As we come to your word now, I pray that you would enlighten our eyes. I pray that you would teach us tonight, direct us, Lord, instruct us. What a wonderful song service to praise the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who bore our sins, who took our sorrows and made them his very own. We are so indebted to Christ for the wonderful grace of Jesus being, being poured out upon us. We are poor beggars, Lord. We come here tonight with nothing to offer you, but we seek from you that bread of life. Feed us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Proverbs 13, we're going to start in verse 1 and just kind of work through these wise sayings. Verse 1 says, A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner Heareth not rebuke. A wise son listens, or literally, uh, um, so he listens to the instruction. The word literally means education of his father. That's what it means. The word instruction means education. His father is teaching, training, instructing him. He listens not just with the ear. Now, listening here is an action. All right? Is it good enough just to hear God's word? We all agree? No. No, 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 that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about somebody who listens and applies what they hear. The word is an action. So you don't just hear it with your ear, you apply it with your life. Uh, many foolish sons hear their father's teaching, then they go and they ignore it and they do their own thing. Uh, my son constantly gets mad at me for calling him a fool. Do you know why I call him a fool? Because I'll tell him to not to do something. And when he, what he does, he does that very thing. And then I correct him, and he does, I, t I tell him, you know what? A fool doesn't heed instruction. A fool keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again. He doesn't learn. I know Jason probably doesn't want me to put him on the spot, but I, he deals with a lot of fools in his line of work. A lot of fools. Probably sees a lot of the same faces over and over. A lot of guys get out of prison, and they come back, and they do the same things over. Why? Because they're fools. They haven't learned. They know that the, the consequences. They know what's coming, and yet they do it anyways. A wise son doesn't do that. And the fool, they hear. They listen with their ears, but they never apply it. It never goes any deeper than right here. The wise son takes it and brings it down here, and it becomes part of his life. It changes him. Many foolish sons hear their father's teaching, but they don't care. Simply hearing is not in view in this text, but hearing and doing what's being taught. And you know the verse, but let's go to James 1.22. James 1, keep your finger here in Proverbs, we'll come back. Very well-known verse, but very applicable to our topic right now. James 1.22.
Bible says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. A wise son is a son who hear and does his father's instruction. We're not simply to hear, but to put into practice what we're taught from the word. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. How do we deceive ourselves? Well, by thinking that we're doing okay by simply hearing. There's a lot of people who think that just sitting in church means they're okay. Well, I go to church. I'm a good person. I listen to the preaching. I'm a good person. I remember a girl in high school who was at every church service, every youth group meeting. I mean, in chapel at our Christian school, she sat and took copious notes of everything. Being, I mean, she was just studious. And the preacher at church, she kept her notebooks. And then outside of there, she was sleeping with her boyfriend and got pregnant out of wedlock. To look at you, you say, what happened? She was so into the church and the preaching of the word was so important to her. Yes, but it never went from here. God doesn't want us to hear and write copious notes. He wants us to apply that which we hear. If we're approaching the Bible and we're reading the Bible and then we're living in sin, God's not happy. Well, at least I read my Bible. No. You'd be better off not to read your Bible. You're more accountable the more you know. If you're not going to approach the Bible and say, God, change me from this affect me from this. If reading the scriptures doesn't change who we are, it's not getting any further than right here. We apply it here. That's what a wise son does. Sometimes I have to ask myself, I'm calling my son a fool. When I go and I sin against God, I do the same sin I did before. Am I being a fool too? You got to be careful. It might be the fool calling the fool a fool. We need to make sure we are changing based on the word that we're given. This is the education, right? So in Proverbs, he's talking about the education of his father. A wise son hears the instruction or the education of the father. This is the education of God. If it's not changing us, we're not getting it, church. If we can go on in sin, we're not getting it. Does the word have a demonstrable effect on your life? That's the question you'd ask yourself. Am I changed? Not, not do I read my Bible. Well, a lot of times we focus on that, don't we? Make sure you read your Bible. That's good. Make sure you read your Bible. Let me ask you a, a deeper question. Are you changed by what you read? If it doesn't affect who you are, it doesn't do any good. Don't just read. Hear. And hear in a way that gets down into the heart and applies what's being heard. When you come to the preaching... Are you listening? I heard every word you said, Pat. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, does, do you apply it? Do you grow from it? I had somebody come to me. I'm not going to name any names. They're not in here, but a few months ago, I said, Pastor, you said such and such, and God convicted me that I've been doing that, and that is wrong, and I should never do that again. And he walked away. I said, you know what? That person is listening to the word. Because I didn't even know I said that. It wasn't even in my notes. He's listening. He's hearing. And he's changing based on what he hears. There are some people that I preach and they come to me with a problem within 12 hours. And I'm like thinking, did you hear what I said when I, pre I preached on this? Like we talked about this. This was talked about. Are we hearing? Are we changing? Because if we're just hearing and not changing, then we're not we're not hearing from the inner man. The word of God ought to change us. Verse 23. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass or looking in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgiveth what manner of man he was. How many years did I do this with the Bible? I just read the Bible and I, I realized... You know what? I'm not doing what I should do. I'm not living how I should live. And I said, I'm going to take care. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of that. And I went my way, put the Bible on the shelf, got, got to work, got about my business, and nothing ever changed. 
You know why? Because what I acknowledge with my head, what I needed to do, my heart was not there. It's like a person gets saved, right? You have true and false conversion. A person can believe up here and not believe. We talked about it on a Friday night, the question and answer. Simon the sorcerer, great example. It says he believed, and he did believe with his mind. But his heart wasn't there. He wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Ghost. I think to a certain extent, Judas believed, not in a saving way. I think he believed. I've heard a theory out there that Judas believed that Christ was the Messiah, but believed the Messiah was going to be a political conqueror. And so his, his, his uh, betrayal of Jesus was intended to kick Jesus into gear to start a war against Rome to write, take his place. That's why later on when he realized, he said, I, I betrayed his in blood, there, there was some sorrow, some regret, but it wasn't biblical sorrow, it wasn't repentance. But the point I'm making is he believed that Jesus was something important, but he never believed from his heart that he was the Son of God. And a lot of people fill churches who believe but their belief doesn't go any deeper than their head. Not to the heart. So when you hear but you don't change, and you're like a person who looks in a mirror, and then without fixing anything, you walk away. You guys ever done that? I've done that before. I've done that before. One time, years ago, she won't remember it, but my hair, my hair was a mess. And I went and looked in the mirror. I said, oh, I need to comb my hair. And I went and got my shirt on, I got my shoes on, and I grabbed my keys and my wallet, and I'm hitting the door. My wife's like, weren't you going to comb your hair? Oh yeah, I meant to do that. I forgot. I looked, I saw, and I forgot. That's how many people read the Bible. That's how many people read their Bible or hear the preaching of the Word. They sit down, they hear and, oh, that was a nice sermon. That was good. That was, that was really eloquent. Okay, let's go on and do what we're going to do now. Don't be that person. Be the person that approaches the word. And when you see something in the word, you say, I, I'm not doing that. I need to start, or I'm doing that. I need to stop doing that. That needs to change our lives. You ever seen that person at Walmart? One earring on, crooked lipstick. They looked in a mirror, I'm sure. Forgot what they had to fix, didn't they? Didn't look very nice, does it? Neither does a Christian who doesn't look at the law of the Lord and change who he is. Verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Those who look in the mirror and change what needs to be changed have a different outward appearance. So it is with the one who looks into the scriptures and uses it to fashion his life. The scripture is a mirror, okay? And the reflection it shows is not us. It's who we should be in Christ. It's up to us to look into the word and to see what we need to fix to be conformed to the image of Christ. Oh, the word says I should be a good worker. I'm a lazy worker. I should probably change. I should probably work differently. The verse says that those who look and then continue in it, those who don't forget, being a hearer only, that person will be blessed. Reading the scripture and hearing the preaching of the word should change how we live and think. And by the way, reading the Bible and being in church is not an automatic blessing. Who's the one that's blessed? The one who looks and applies what they hear. That's who's blessed in their deed. Don't think you're automatically blessed because you read your Bible every day this week. If you read it and it didn't affect your life, you're not blessed. The blessing comes when we apply that which we've read, that which we've taken in to our lives. There should be a visible effect on the outward man if indeed the inner man is being affected. Remember, true Christian obedience is not outward conformity. True Christian obedience does not come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. We have to remember that. 
Because it's so easy to be religious, isn't it? And to deceive ourselves and think, I'm doing everything right. I'm saying everything. I'm dressing right. I'm there when I'm supposed to be. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm doing all the checklist I need. To, that's not what Christianity is, right? So we, we don't say, okay, I'm doing this whole list of things. Now I'm truly Christian. That's not how the Bible teaches. That might be how a Catholic church teaches. That might be how a Mormon church teaches. You got to do these things, check them off the list, and then you're truly that religion. The Bible teaches that we are changed from the inside out. So it doesn't start out here. So if you're hearing me tonight, you're saying, oh, pastor's saying I should read my Bible more. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're not reading your Bible, your heart's not right. Get your heart right with God. Then you, you know what you're going to do? You're going to read your Bible. Because the inner man will want to read the Bible. If you're in sin, if you're doing something you ought not be doing, get the heart right. Because it's not a doing problem, it's a heart problem. Everything we do flows from the heart. That is so important for us to remember. Go back to Proverbs 13. A wise son hears, not just with the ears, he's not a hearer only, but he takes the instruction into the inner person. The other son, the scorner, hears only with the ears, and then forgets what's said. There's no change in the inner man. Verse 2. A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressors shall eat violence. The word good here means something pleasant to taste and smell. So by our speech, and we've talked about this before, our speech will determine a lot. Someone who speaks honestly and respectfully is sowing seeds and will reap from that something pleasant and tasteful. The transgressor, at the end, eats violence. The soul of the transgressor, it says. I love that, the soul of the transgressor. That's important. The reference to soul here is his desire. So, the one who desires good fruit, sows good fruit with his mouth, what does he eat? Good fruit. The soul that desires violence, what does he eat? He eats violence. That which he desires is paid back to him. That's the truth of, 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 of all of us for eternity. That which we desire will be paid back to us. Those who desire Christ get an eternity of Christ. Those who desire sin get an eternity of sin. Now, unfortunately, in hell, you're not able to fulfill your lust to sin. So they'll be filled with the lust to sin but be unable to ever fulfill those desires. Can you imagine that? Eternity where you just want to curse, just want to fight, you want to commit adultery, you want to commit fornication, you want to commit homosexuality, you want to do all these sins, but you can never fulfill them. I think the lust for sin will be in hell. The desire, they'll be filled with their desires, but they'll have no way to fulfill those desires. But those who are righteous, who desire Christ, they'll be filled for eternity. Filled to overflowing, never having enough of Christ. I think, honestly, uh, eternity is a long time. I know you can't put time on that because it's eternity. But thousands of years into eternity, you know what we're going to do? We're going to desire more of Christ. I don't think we'll ever be filled. I think we'll be with Christ and always want more. Always discover more. Always treasure more. I don't think we'll ever be like, okay, I've had, thank you, I've had enough. I've got to see Christ for a few hundreds of millions of years. I'm good. We'll never say that. Those who are righteous are filled with the fruits of their righteousness. Those who are wicked, who go down the wicked path, they'll be filled with the same thing. Their violence, their end, that which they desire. Those in eternity... The wicked will be filled with their sin. They are fully given over so that they lust, covet, hate, and so on, but are never satisfied. Their lust for sin goes on for eternity. What a horrible state to be in. What a horrible state to be in. Verse 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The lazy person desires to have stuff, but they can't afford it. We see a lot of this today, don't we? Lazy people. 
How about this rise in, what do they call it? Smash and grab robberies? Lazy people. People who don't want to work. They want to take somebody else's property. Really, all theft in general, I think, is summed up in laziness. You take because you're lazy. You steal from somebody else for quick money. You don't want to work for it. It leads to a lot of bad sins. How about laziness at work? Employees who are lazy, boy. I, I've worked with them. I've had them work for me. They always desire promotions. <laughs> but they don't do anything to get the promotion. I had a guy one time tell me when I left to come here. He says, are you going to recommend me for your position? And as nicely as I could, I said, why would I do that? You barely do your job. You call off more than you're here, it seems like. When you're here, you leave stuff for other people to do after you, and we don't have that much to do. Why would I recommend you to be in charge of the department? But they do. They want, I should get it. I've been here a long time. I deserve it. No, you don't deserve it. You deserve it by working hard for it. Lazy people, they desire, and they can't have. You know why? Because they're lazy. Laziness is rewarded by desire only. The soul or desire of the diligent will be made fat, or you could say it will be fulfilled. The hard worker will want things and have the ability to buy them. A diligent employee will normally get the promotion at work. I got promoted ahead of other people. You know why? I was a diligent worker. I did things that people didn't do. I went above and beyond my job sometimes. I rarely called off. I was there all the time. You know why? Because I wanted to be diligent in my job because I'm serving the Lord in my job. People who were ahead of me for a promotion didn't get it. You know why? Because they were lazy. Because they're always sick on a holiday or on Saturday. Oh, they wanted the promotion. But the soul of the slugger desires and hath nothing. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. It shall be fulfilled. Laziness is such a sneaky sin, isn't it? It's sneaky. It doesn't feel like the other sins, right? I mean, you commit adultery, you know you're sinning. You commit fornication, you know you're sinning. You, I don't know, punch somebody in the street, you know you're sinning. Sometimes laziness, we just justify it, don't we? I deserve this nice long break. I deserve not to do it, you know. You ever spend a day, a lazy day, I'm not condemning you, I've done it too, where at the end of the day you go, it's five o'clock, I wasted the entire day. Where'd time go? I did nothing all day. But imagine doing that for multiple days. When you have things that you're supposed to be doing, you're not doing them, Right? It's a sneaky sin. It doesn't always feel like you're sinning. People with too much time on their hands fall into other sins. We see this in our society, don't we? We have a lazy generation today and a large increase in crime. Do you think those two things are unrelated? Of course not. Of course not. Go to Ezekiel 16 real quick. Ezekiel 16, 49. Ezekiel 16, 49. The Bible says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor. And he's talking about the the sins of Sodom. One of her sins was idleness. Not just idleness, abundance of idleness. I'm not saying that that's what caused all the sin and all the homosexuality. That's not, but I'm telling you what, that contributed to it. They had time on their hands. Our generation today, we have so much time, we think of ways 
to commit sin, don't we? We just, we have like whole industries dedicated to finding new ways to sin against God. We have whole political movements dedicated to find ways to sin against God. The problem is we have too much time on our hands. Boredom leads to sin. Laziness in society will be the downfall of any society. Sodom is not the exception, or we're not the exception. That's the rule. Why is America getting into all this LGBT nonsense? Because we have too much time on our hands. That's why. That's why. Why, why is this crime increasing? Too much time on our hands. Not enough hard workers. I was hiring recently. You know how hard it was to find hard workers? Very hard. You know why? Because we have a whole generation that were raised up believing they don't have to work. They're entitled to everything. It's the complete downfall. You say, well, our society is still standing. Give it a generation or two beyond this one. It'll be complete economic collapse. Nobody will want to work. You can't do that. And they know it. The world knows this, too. What do we always hear about uh, crime, right? Well, crime in those inner city neighborhoods. The problem is we need education and we need jobs. So you recognize that their free time is causing them to sin. The problem is they don't want to work. You know why? Because they like to sin. You want to avoid sin? I'll give you one easy piece of advice. Be a diligent and hard worker. You won't have time for it. You won't have time for it. It'll have to chase you down to tempt you. But too, listen, take vacation, take a day off. But too much free time for a Christian should be a scary thing. It's too easy. It's too easy. You ever, I remember one time I quit going to church for a while. You know how hard it was to start going back to church after months of not going to church? Oh, it's so easy to be lazy. Especially now with the internet. Well, I watched it online, so so easy. Make sure you're diligent. Make sure you're working hard. Make sure at your job, even retired, Ruben works harder than anybody I know. You know why? He stays diligent. He's diligent. My grandpa retired. He was retired before I was born. My whole life, uh, you know, my, my, my grandmother volunteered at the ch- church at the Christian school as a secretary, so she worked all day, five days a week. My grandpa would leave the house at like 8 o'clock in the morning and be gone until lunchtime. You know what he's doing? He was driving around the entire Bay Area looking for anything that was metal or recyclable. And he'd haul it back to the house, and he'd have lunch, and he'd go out to the backyard where he had a little junkyard made, and get his well or his uh, blowtorch out. He'd start burning down metals and he'd start separating things. All in all, he worked about a ten-hour day. About a ten-hour day, and not to get rich. He just, you know, recycled it all and gave the money to the church. Why do you do it? To stay busy, because he was taught growing up: you work and you work hard, and you don't stop working. The day he died, he'd been out in the, in the yard, uh, uh, digging up the yard and getting ready to lay new grass down. And, and uh, uh, my grandma said, you need to go buy new shoes. Your shoes are basically just bare feet now. And so he said, okay, okay. So he took his shoes off, came in to have lunch, watched his favorite TV program. And while he was watching that, he had a stroke and died. He was getting ready to go back out and work some more. You know why? Because he was a hard worker. Oh, we've lost that today. He didn't have idle time. He'd get up every morning before he'd go drive around looking for recyclables. He'd stop by the church and have coffee with the pastor and talk about the Bible. Almost every day. You know why? He was diligent. He didn't have a good education. I think sixth grade is all he went through. So when he heard the preaching, there's a lot of things he didn't understand. So he met almost every morning, I was told, with the pastor to ask questions about the sermon the day before or the week before. You know why? He wanted to know what God had to say, and he was diligent about it. Diligent. Don't be lazy, Christian. Be diligent in your work, in your search for God. Be diligent. Are you retired? Be diligent. You know who works hard? The hardest workers in this church, I promise you, are Reuben and Earl. Say, why? Because they're Christians. Because they know the value 
of serving God and doing it right. Don't look forward for them. You, I can retire and just take it. Don't ever take it easy. Retire and get to work. You know who takes it easy? People who fall into sin. Man, the devil's just waiting for us to have a lot of free time to get into our mind, into our thoughts. Into... Don't give him that opportunity. Take a break. Rest. But be diligent. Be diligent. Nothing will get you into sin faster than laziness. Verse 5 of uh, Proverbs 13. If you can go back there. The Bible says, A righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. Let's take the first part of the verse. A righteous man hateth lying. Okay, This reference is not speaking within the Hebrew use of it here. It's not speaking about the mouth, believe it or not. It's speaking about the life of lying. In other words, the word lying here, there's a different word that would encompass lying with your mouth. This word means a person who completely denounces a lifestyle of deception. You see, what, you see the difference there? It goes beyond that. They hate any form of deceit and guile. A righteous man won't pretend to be busy at work. That's what it's saying. A righteous man won't walk around work carrying an empty box like he's working. You ever see someone who, do, who does that? I've known people who do that kind of stuff. That's not a righteous person. A righteous person hates lying, hates deception, hates any kind of deceit whatsoever. He hates false doctrine, which lies about God and the scripture. Next part of the verse, but a wicked man is loathsome. That word loathsome means quite literally rotten. He stinks from the smell of his rottenness. The word is used two other times. Uh, go, ahead and, go ahead and turn to both of them. I wasn't going to have you do it, but go ahead and turn. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1. The same word for, that we use for loathsome here is used in these two other passages. Ecclesiastes 10, 1. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. That word stinking, same word as loathsome in Proverbs. A stinking savor. So doth a little folly to him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. So when it says the wicked man is loathsome, it means stinking. That's what it means. Rotten in his being. Go to Exodus 5.21. That's the other use. Exodus 5.21. The Bible says, and they said unto them, the Lord look upon you and judge because you have made our savor to be abhorred. Same Hebrew word is loathsome. Abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. In other words, he's saying, you've made us stink to the Egyptians. You made us smell bad to the Egyptians. The wicked from the rottenness in their soul, they stink and their rottenness shows through to all of their speech and all of their actions. That's so what Jesus said, out of the heart of man comes lies and adulteries and all these things. That means from the rottenness of his soul. You ever see people praise somebody? Like, oh, they're a beautiful person inside and out. Typically, that's not true. If they're unsaved, they're rotten on the inside. They stink, they smell. And though they can cover it up a little bit, eventually that smell is going to come through. In their actions, in their words, it's going to come through. The end of the verse in Proverbs says, and cometh to shame. The wicked is loathsome and cometh to shame. All the wicked will come to shame on the day that their rottenness is exposed before the great white throne of judgment. You understand that? God on that day is going to expose the true nature of the soul of man. And it's going to stink. It's going to be rotten and it's going to be cast out of his presence. Go to Daniel 12, 2. By contrast, Daniel 12, 2. The righteous will never be brought to shame. Daniel 12, 2. 
Daniel 12, verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. What a contrast with the wicked. The wicked is loathsome. They stink, they rot, and they come to shame. But the righteous, it says, they'll shine like the stars forever and ever. There's no shame there, is there? Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. I love this verse here. Romans 10, verse 11. Paul says, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So Proverbs says the wicked will come to shame. Paul says those who believe on him will never be ashamed. There's no shame to the Christian. Isn't that wonderful? No shame. Though people shame us today, we're at uh, FPA, not this week, last week, not, you know, not yesterday, but the week before. And a guy walks by, and I don't think he said anything to us, but he, I just know he's walking away, he's shaking his head, just trying to shame us. There's no shame. There's no, I don't feel shame now. When I get to heaven, I'm definitely not going to be ashamed for standing up for the unborn, ever. But he will come to shame. That man, if he doesn't repent, will come to shame one day. The rottenness of his soul will be exposed. Christian, never be ashamed to stand for righteousness, ever. Those who believe on Christ, those who follow the path of righteousness, will never be ashamed. One day we will be vindicated before the entire world. They will know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we were right. Every person we preach to, every person that passes in the park and laughs or snickers or gets angry, they will be ashamed one day. We will never stand ashamed. Never stand ashamed at your love for Christ. Verse 6, go to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 6. Righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way, but wickedness overthroweth the sinner. Righteousness keeps or guards the upright in the way. Practical righteousness is a guard against sin. So what are you talking about here? Practical, like we have two kinds of righteousness, don't we? We have that which is imputed to us from Christ, which is not ours. And there's that which we do with our lives, which is the outworking of the inner imputation of Christ's righteousness. Righteousness keeps or guards the upright in the way. John Gill, I love what he says about this passage here. He says, Men of uprightness and integrity, whose hearts are sincere in the ways of God, the principle of grace and righteousness in them keeps them in those ways and will not suffer them to turn aside into crooked paths. In other words, righteousness is a great tool in fighting sin. Righteousness is a great tool in fighting sin. It's not a guarantee. You have to understand your heart has to be right. Sin comes in because our hearts are not right. Let me tell you, practical righteousness goes a long way. You know who tends to fall away more than those who don't? Those who spend their whole lives watching TV church, as opposed to those who attend church. You know why? Because practical righteousness is a guard. Now, that doesn't guarantee anything anyways. You know, Amy and I know somebody who just recently just found out they're having a baby. They've been living with their girlfriend for years out of wedlock, and they go to church every Sunday. So it's not a guarantee. But practical righteousness, living out your faith, doing righteous things, reading your Bible, praying, being evangelistic, going to church, these kind of things will be tools to keep you on the way of righteousness. One way to not stay on the way of righteousness is not to go to church. To have no support. These Lone Ranger Christians... Some of them, a lot of them may not be Christians. Let's just be honest. 
We were made for connection. We were made to be a family. We were made to encourage and support and uplift one another. People always say, from the, like, where in the Bible does it say I have to be, be part of a church? The Bible assumes it because it was so ingrained in the early disciples. It didn't need to be said. Like, I asked me one time, he goes, where does the Bible say don't pray to Mary? I said, it didn't need to. It didn't need to. The Jews believed that praying to anybody but God was a sin. The early Christians believed that praying to anybody. It didn't need to be said until one kid came around today thinking they could just do what? Well, the Bible didn't say I can't do it, so I guess I can do it. No, that's not how it works. Practical righteousness. That which flows from the imputed righteousness of Christ is helped greatly by the righteousness of the word. When we hear the word, when we read the word, we are reading and hearing instructions in the righteousness of Christ. Do you desire to continue in the way of righteousness? Make sure you're practicing righteousness. Let me tell you, that, 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 that young man I was talking about a minute ago, he's been off the way of righteousness for years. I don't care if he's going to church. I couldn't, I, I don't care if he was leading the choir. He's, he's an open sin and multiple years long rebellion to God. Go to church all you want to, you're not a Christian. If you've been hearing the word for three years and doing that, I'm sorry. I don't believe you're saved. The Holy Spirit never convicted you? You never, you were a hearer and not a doer of the word? Or did your church not, did your church not preach against that for the last year? I don't know. That's a, that's a question mark too. Don't go to a church that doesn't preach against sin. Practical righteousness is a tool. It's aided by reading the word and hearing it preached in the church assembly. The end of the verse says, wickedness overthroweth the sinner. His practical wickedness, which flows from his inner wickedness, is the cause of his downfall. Remember, they have, the wickedness of the wicked flows from the inner wickedness of their soul. Just like our righteousness flows from the new renewed man in Christ. Often in this life, definitely in eternity, that's their downfall. Many of the heathen are felled by their own acts of wickedness. Prisons are full of these people. So are graveyards, unfortunately. On the day of judgment, their wickedness will be the case against them. They'll be judged by the things written in the books according to their works. Their own wickedness, which they take so much pleasure in today, will testify against them on the day of judgment. Verse 7. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Allow me, if you will, some freedom tonight to give you three applications of this text. I believe strongly, you know me, and I believe in putting verses in context. I think it's the primary application, but I also believe that you can take a scripture from its context and makes, make you still make a good biblical application with it. I want to do that two times over tonight. Lost my place. Let me get my place back here. There we are. So in context, there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. The word maketh here means feigns. In other words, they pretend to be rich, but have nothing. We live in a society that does that, don't we? With credit cards, right? We live a life that we shouldn't be living. I had a story a while back of a couple that was on a reality TV show. And they were buying mansions and fancy cars. And supposedly had all these businesses. And then they got arrested and indicted. And it turns out their whole life was a fraud. They had no money. That's what the verse is talking about here. Somebody who feigns wealth but doesn't have any. They're actually poor. 
The other person has wealth, but acts as if they are poor. They live in a meager way, often so they can give and bless others. The first one's the wicked one, by the way, the one who pretends to have great wealth but doesn't have any. The righteous person here is the one that has wealth but doesn't flaunt their wealth. That's why Paul talks about, he talks about modesty in the New Testament. A lot of it has to do with not dressing rich, right? Not the gold and the silver and the, I'm not saying don't have nice things, but be careful. If you have money, be careful how you show that. There's a church I know of, a good church. They had a lady for years that came. She never joined. She came only for Sunday school, left before the morning service, and she always dressed in very shabby clothes, her hair kind of unbrushed. And she took home all the donuts that were left over after Sunday school. And no one said anything. They figured she's a very poor lady. Let her have the donuts. One day they got a call from a lawyer saying she had died. He said, but she left the church, her estate, and the pastor said, oh. I think he said, he said, I think I heard the pastor actually said, like the donut boxes? Like, what did she have? He said, one million dollars. She left it to the church. Never joined, never stuck around. She lived in such a meager way so that her last act could be doing good. I don't know that she was a Christian, but I tend to think she probably was. She had wealth and she didn't flaunt it. She didn't show it. She left it for others. Now, for the other applications. There are those who seek to enrich themselves and they never give to the church or people in need. They're stingy with their money, and when they die, they have little to no reward in heaven. That, that, that happens too. Don't be that person. I'm not saying give all your money in the I'm saying use your money to help other people. Be a blessing. When you die, it stays here. But what we store in heaven, we go to when we, when we die. Remember that. There are likewise those who give generously, and although you would think they had nothing left to give, God blesses them and they keep on giving. As an example, George Mueller. People like that. I believe when he died, he had $83 in the bank. Equivalent, modern equivalent. But tens of millions passed through his hands on its way to other people. Third application. And that is spiritual wealth. Those who pretend to be very spiritual people, very dedicated Christians, and so forth, but they're actually bankrupt spirits. They're not really saved. They put on airs. They put on an act of Christianity. They pretend to be wealthy and spiritual, but they're actually very bankrupt, very poor. They are unsaved, and they feigned spiritual life. Make sure we're not doing that, church. Although I know those are not the direct context, I believe they are valid biblical applications of that verse. Verse 8, the ransom of a man's life are his riches, but the poor heareth not rebuke. It's an interesting verse. We see here the benefits of both riches and poverty. The rich can ransom his life if in danger with his wealth. Turn to 1 Kings 20. Let me show you. 1 Kings 20. Verse 29, First Kings 20, verse 29. The Bible says, And they pitched one over against the other seven days, and so it was, that in the seventh day the battle was joined, the children of Israel slew of the Syrians, and hundred thousand footmen in one day. But the rest fled to Aphek, into the city, and there a wall fell upon twenty and seven thousand of the men that were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and came uh, into the city, into an inner chamber, and his servants said unto him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes upon our heads, and go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure, he will save thy life. So they girded sackcloth on their loins, and put ropes on their heads, and came to the king of Israel, and said, Thy servant, Benadad, saith, I pray thee, let me live. And he said, Is he yet alive? He is my brother. 
Now the men diligently, uh, men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him, and did hastily catch it. And they said, "Thy brother Benhadad." Then they then he said, "Go ye, bring him." Then Benhadad came forth to him, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. And Benhadad said unto him, "The cities which my father took from thy father, I will restore, and thou wilt." Shall make streets for thee in Damascus, as for my father, as my father made in Samaria. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. In other words, Benadad was able to bargain for his life with the wealth that he had. I'll give you all of this, just let me live. The poor seldom have this problem, as the poor are seldom held for ransom. Riches are beneficial because they can save you in time of distress. Poverty is more convenient because you seldom encounter the distresses of the rich. It's an interesting verse, I think. You ask, which one should we seek after? I would say neither. Turn to Proverbs 30, verse 7. Riches benefit in time of distress, and poverty keeps you from those distresses. Which one should I want, Pastor? The answer is, want neither. Want neither. There's a middle ground there. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Pray this prayer if you have a prayer to pray. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. In other words, let's be content with whatever God gives us. Amen. Amen. Let's trust the Lord to meet our needs. Don't seek to be rich. Don't seek to be poor. Don't go out and mortgage your life and don't put all your savings into the, into the offering tonight. But pray and say, Lord, I trust you. Give me what I, you know what I need. I don't want to be full and deny you. I don't want to be hungry and steal. I want to trust you. That should be our prayer. Amen. Proverbs 13, go back there. Proverbs 13. We're in verse number nine. The light of the righteous rejoiceth but the lamp of the wicked should be put out. I'll be honest, when I read that, the lamp of the wicked should be put out, I trembled a little bit. That sounds so ominous, and it is. God will bring an end to the wicked. The word rejoiceth means to shine brightly. The light of the righteous will shine brightly and openly forever and ever. We saw that in Daniel 12, didn't we? They that be wise shall shine like the stars in the glory of the kingdom of God. The light of the wicked shall be put out. They'll be forgotten and disposed of in the lake of fire. But the righteous will shine with the glory and the radiance of God. Verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. There is so much that can be said about this verse, I'm sure. We can get an entire sermon on this verse on the subject of pride. I think all sin comes down to pride in the human heart, doesn't it? John Piper always says that when we sin, we're telling God, I believe that this sin can give me more right now than you can give me by being faithful. Pride, right? We got to Eve, wasn't it? And Adam? We could be as God. Ooh, that sounds good. I've never been as God. Pride. When Korah rebelled, it was pride. You think God only speaks to you, Moses? What about us? Throughout the Bible, Solomon was pride. David, pride. I'm the king, why can't I have her? They'll bring me whatever I tell them to bring me. Solomon and his many wives. I'm the wisest man who's ever lived. Surely this is wrong. I know it. <laughs> How about you and me? Pride. You know, there's times I think I know better than God, and I'm always wrong. It's pride. Somebody hurts my feelings. And it's pride. Who's always they hurt? They hurt my pride. I think too much of myself sometimes. Pride is a horrible sin. That who do they think they are mentality. 
the who do they think they're talking to mentality. Job's argument against God was his pride. God is being so mean to me. Look how righteous I've been. So what was Job's sin, Pastor? Pride. Pride. Pride in ourselves, pride in our goodness. That's what felled the Pharisees. The Sadducees, it was pride in their political positions and their money. The verse ends with, but with a well-advised is wisdom. We need to be humble enough to take counsel and not to think we know the answer. I took counsel just a little bit ago from some people. I try to take counsel whenever I can because I don't know everything. I know that. I take counsel from godly men such as Max and Abbott, Jason, Reuben. I seek it all the time. You know why? I don't always know the right answer. Max and I this week shared a telephone call with a man who's involved in a church plant and troubled by the situation. He was a man who was humble enough to say, you know what, I need some counsel. I don't want to act unbiblically. We're in a pro I need counsel. That's humility. Let me wrap this up with a few applications tonight. First of all, truly hear from God, church. Truly hear from God. Don't listen to a sermon and say, that was nice, and go about your way. Say, Lord, how would you have me apply that to my life? When you read the Bible, try to stay there until God speaks to you. If you can't, get up earlier and look again. Go back on your lunch break and look at it. Don't, don't go to bed at night if God hasn't spoken to you that day. Don't hear them walk away and forget, but apply what you read. Number two, guard your tongue. Gossip, angry outbursts, they speak much about our heart. Be diligent. Don't be lazy. This applies to work as well as spiritual matters. Hate lying and deceit of all kinds. I mean, if you have a job, don't walk around trying to look busy. Get busy. Hate all forms of lying and deceit. Don't pretend to have more than you do, either in wealth or in spiritual wealth. Righteousness is a guard to keep you on the way, so love righteousness. The light of the righteous will shine forever. Don't let sin burn out your light. And lastly, pride brings contention. Humility brings peace. Seek peace through humility. Take advice and listen to others. Stay on the way of righteousness. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you tonight for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, what a blessing to be here today with our church family. Such wonderful folks who love you, who love one another. We thank you for what you've done for us today, Lord. It was a blessing to see Mike here today, Lord. I pray you continue to bring him back, Lord. What a blessing to see him seeking you. To see the babies in the church this morning. Thank you for babies, Lord. For the life that you've given. May you guide those young children in their life. Bring their mother to saving faith. That she could be a godly example to them. Be with those in our church who are sick or who couldn't be here today, Lord. My heart and my mind is with men like Bob Such and Joe Eskenazi, Tom Bachman, ladies like Terry Perez, Rosie, who was feeling ill today. Lord, bring her blood and sugars down. Help her vertigo, Lord. Raise her back up. There may be others, I don't know, with Deborah, Lord, and her health issues that she has, and Jackie and her issues as well, Lord, that she's dealing with. So many are dealing with problems. May they find Christ in the midst of those trials. And for us who are gathered here, Lord, I pray that we would be doers of the word, not hearers only.
pray that you would take this message and apply it to my heart, to others as well. Speak to us, Lord. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Tomorrow, speak to us through the word. Tuesday, speak to us. And so on and so forth. Do what you need to do to conform us to the image of your Son. Keep us on the way of righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.